I should be good. Could you jump right in, Brad? Yeah, anytime you want. Anytime you want to uh, keep going, you're you are Live. good to do so. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Hey, everybody! Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the How to Define Your Digital Journey. Me and Brandon put this series together with the clear goal of looking to share the experiences of other real operators to help you identify how technology can take your business to the next level. Today's episode is going to be focused on the power of going digital. And before we get started, Brandon and I will give you a brief background on ourselves before we bring on our special guest. Brandon? Yeah. So great to be here, Ben. Obviously, I'm excited to do this uh, digital transformation journey. I know for me, you know, the time to plan is before you need it. These are great talking points. There's great opportunity for growth here. If you're uh, a small business, mid-sized business, enterprise business, there is tons of opportunity for digital transformation. I know it's a buzzword um, that's thrown out a lot right now, but just start small, get an idea, bring it to fruition, and build off of that type of momentum. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at tonight, Brian. So back to you. Awesome, Brandon. I love it. And I think we're going to give everybody, you know, the first steps to finding the opportunities in their business. So let's jump right into it. As we mentioned, the first episode um, today is going to be focused on the power of going digital. And we have a very special and featured guest with us today, John Forte from Beta Tech Hot Products. Welcome, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Of course. It's our pleasure. We're certainly looking into digging into your experiences, both on the technology side and in the hops industry itself. I think before we get started, it would be great, you know, to learn a little bit more about yourself and more specifically Beta Tech Hot Products and, and the industry that you work in specifically. Absolutely. So uh, I've been in the food uh, industry my whole life. Um, my parents started a small catering company. And as I progressed in uh, height, I got better and better jobs. <laughs> um, <clears throat> actually thought I was going to be a, a chef, a culinary chef. I did some training. Uh, in that direction, but I really started in the food ingredient products, um, selling starches and stevias and different kinds of fibers, and uh, lo and behold, ended up in the hop industry. So I work for the uh, largest hop grower and trader in the world. Uh, the company has been around for 250 years. Uh, it's on its wow. eighth generation, family owned in Germany. And uh, the division I work for is Beta Tech, which is the beyond brewing. So we think of ways to utilize the hop in anything other than a beer. So uh, we always have to think outside of the box in that regard. And I've been here for eight years now with my uh, global team, and I'm based in Washington, D.C. That's fantastic, John. And when you first got started at the company, were you ever originally on the, the core hop side with the alcohol side? Or has it always been on the alternative side? I've always been on the alternative <clears throat> side. I was promoted uh, and I'm involved on the uh, senior management team on the brewing side uh, a couple of years back. Um, but I've always been involved in both ends, uh, obviously in the back end with the senior management leadership team uh, dealings. Very cool. Very cool. And when it comes to, you know, the alternatives of hops, I'm sure some people can kind of get a grasp of, you know, how you're looking to utilize hops in a different way. 
Um, but maybe you could shed some more light. What are some of the ways that your company's found to bring value to hops in other areas? Sure. So it all started for Beta Tech about 23 years ago now. And it started with looking at utilizing the parts that the brewers didn't want to use. Um, so the, the side products of the, of the hop itself. So uh, there's alpha acid in the hop and beta acid. Alpha makes great beer, beta does not. So the first thing that we utilized the beta for was uh, in a partnership with a sugar company in Europe. And we were able to use it as a processing aid, as an antimicrobial to repl replace formaldehyde and chlorine and all kinds of penicillin and different products in the actual production of sugar. So uh, Betatech was founded in a sugar-based business um, in the very beginning, uh, and it's in a green alternative space, all natural, obviously, um, and it was utilized in sugar beet production. That's amazing. And since then, have you guys moved into other industries outside of the sugar area? Where is your focus now? So we have a big umbrella at this point. Um, when I first joined Beta Tech, we were in probably four core businesses, and now we're spreading out into almost seven different uh, businesses. And sugar is still uh, one of our foundations, but, but not, not the largest part of our business. Actually, ethanol production globally is uh, a very large portion of our business again, as an antimicrobial in the process of, of utilizing uh, the, the antimicrobial control. So in all of the spaces we play, we're a green product that replaces a lot of nasty things typically, um, but we're in <laughs> sugar, ethanol production, yeast production, think champagne yeasts and wine yeasts. Um, we are also in nutraceuticals, um, replacing products uh, with, that will be all natural. So we could be used in an all natural ibuprofen for joint pains. We can wow. be used as a sleep aid um, uh, in uh, teas and, and, uh, and nutraceuticals. We're also in honeybee, con uh, uh, the honeybee industry with Varroa mite control. The Varroa mites, again, a nasty pest for the honeybees that the beekeepers until we came along only had acids and very harsh chemicals to utilize uh, to, to control those mites. And now we have a hop-based all-natural product that they are able to use. And then most recently, we're into the flavors and fragrance business. So we've worked on some really great projects with IPA onion rings <laughs> and uh, even working down to the molecules within a hop uh, to become uh, bittering agents in other products. So it's, it's a fascinating business and it's just growing and growing for us. So we have started on projects that I would have never thought of years ago, but uh, one of the other ones that we're utilizing is, is dust control at farms. So <laughs> there's a lot of dust problems and uh, the farmers used to waste a lot of water on that. Now they're putting down uh, hop acids uh, to control the dust. Uh, so that's another all natural kind of process. So what I really like about Betatech's messaging is, is that we're an all green company and uh, we really sell products that we're really passionate about um, yep. and, and that our customers can feel passionate about. Certainly. And I think the, you know, the most exciting part of that too is, of course, today we'll be talking a little bit more along the lines of how technology can also help, you know, with the innovation of, you know, things just like your company targeting alternatives. But I think the coolest part about you know, just talking about how you've grown from just the sugars, right, to now seven different layers in your portfolio, and all that originally stemming from being a very large hops company, 
it shows that technology is not always needed, you know, to continuously reinvent yourself and get more out of, you know, what your core business already is. Um, so that's definitely why we're very excited to have you today, John. Um, we'll start to move into to some of the, the formal part of the web series itself. Uh, the sure. next big thing, you know, that we'll lean into is, you know, what is digital transformation? Um, so before we kind of roll into that, I know you've been a part of a few initiatives in your own organization, and I'm sure the definition has changed for digital transformation with every year that's gone by. Um, so just from your own words, what does digital transformation or applying technology you know, to your business mean to you? To me, it means being staying current, relevant, um, having access for my team and, and our customers and partners globally. Um, at fingertips. Um, so getting away from Excel spreadsheets, obviously, paper documents, paper catalogs. Um, and, and in this last year, obviously, with COVID, um, having started that process at Betatech several years back really helped us uh, motivate and, and improve our sales program throughout this COVID lockdown globally. Um, I can't imagine uh, how we would have operated without it, really. It, it's been a lifesaver for us. And then obviously, as you're going to start to, to discuss, it goes beyond just having Zoom calls with team members. Right? Yeah. It's, a lot more exactly. than, it's a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, even when it comes to the fundamentals, I mean, of, of building a website, we built a website and, you know, some people on the team thought that was a one and done. For me, that's <laughs> an every six month review. It's an every, you know, 15 month refresh. It's, it's a, it's a living, breathing uh, facility so that Correct. it stays relevant it stays current and it keeps people engaged. Keeping people engaged is, is really the toughest part of all of this. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and like you said, some of the jokes around some of the businesses we worked with was what was your reason for transformation? And at the top is, you know, COVID <laughs> uh, and so yeah. many businesses, you know, those that did adapt quickly, right? Uh, whether they filled their bottlenecks or the challenges that they were having, or they fully pivoted their business to online, you know, sure. those that did move the majority of them, you know, were able to capitalize on those opportunities. Yeah. So I'll lead us here into our next slide. And I'm sure Brandon can get a kick out of this because <laughs> I'm sure we've had similar conversations with some people trying to help them identify where the opportunities are in their business. Right. So I think one of the main things around digital transformation is it's a lot easier to start with what it's not uh, rather than trying to describe all of what it is. Right. Because as each year has gone by, more technologies have been released, more ecosystems and solutions have grown and more solutions are out there than ever before um, for any of your needs. Right. So where we see digital transformation is it's kind of blown up into this buzzword and each year that it gets used more and more. Uh, the terminology and the meaning becomes more uncertain and unclear to a lot of businesses. And they're often confused around not exactly what it means to them, but what are the first steps to take, right? They know technology can help, but where can they go? Um, so before we dive into the definition, we'll start with, you know, what are some common myths, um, John? I'm sure maybe you've heard these and can touch on them as we've gone into your first initiatives, right? But some of the most common myths around transformation and the number one most important one is that it's only about technology, right? Uh, and it couldn't be more untrue. Uh, technology is only the vehicle. Um, much like you just showed, John, right? A business can reinvent itself, constantly use its same machinery and create new products and go to new markets without technology, right? The same way that traditional brick and mortar retail was built. Of course, technology just makes it a lot easier uh, and a lot more scalable. 
Absolutely. And, and commun communication between teams, uh, and, you know, global teams is, is key to all of that. Yep. Uh, and then the second one, much like you touched on the global aspect, right? Uh, transformation is isolated uh, or it's a one-off project that solves it like redoing your whole website and now you're good for 10 years, right? Uh, it's a big myth. As you mentioned, you know, transformations are always ongoing. Um, you'll always hit your business result, but then there'll always be a new opportunity. Um, and then the last ones kind of come together in the same. They either think they have a good digital strategy, aka it doesn't need to change, right, as the market conditions continue to change, um, or digital transformation is completely separate from the business model, right? Yeah. Where, what do you feel on that last one? You know, for me, I, I will say that one thing I've really dove into is, is we have our, our platform, we have our website, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. And what I was starting to find was, is in all of the different industries we reach out to, certain models work really well and not with others. So for instance, on uh, Facebook, our B industry uh, is, has so many hits on Facebook um, because that's the communication that the beekeepers really utilize. But my ethanol industry don't, don't go on Facebook unless it's to see families and friends. So they like LinkedIn and they like you know, Twitter maybe sometimes. So it's really looking at targeting all of these different platforms uh, to where your, your, your real niche market is. Where are they looking? What do they utilize? You know, just to say that everybody's on Facebook this, these days doesn't mean that that's where the business model needs to go. It could be Twitter. It could be you know, TikTok. It could be any of these other ones, right? Correct. And unless you really dive deep into it, you could be spending a lot of time and money and effort in the wrong direction. Definitely. And Brandon, from your side, where have you seen some people have, you know, the mis misconnections on what digital transformation is? I think really people get up and want to hit the grand slam or the home run. And in reality, they just need to hit the single. Just bunt. Yes. Get yeah. on base. I mean, all, all, all of us on this call here, I believe, are just looking to get on base. That's the first step. I know we want to use AI to integrate and do all this crazy stuff. And we hear that this company did this and got this result. In reality, those projects are pretty intensive. And the one, probably one of the biggest myths that I see is, is um, they, a lot of companies believe that their data, that they're working with good data. And in reality, they're working with old outdated data. And that's really what drives the digital transformation from what I see. It's junk in, junk out. So before any type of digital transformation uh, project starts, I always recommend getting a data expert in there and cleaning up, appending, deduping, um, all that type of information, scrubbing that information. And then you can start to utilize some of these elementary types of digital transformation, right? Because what happens is if you start out and you're dealing with, um, a bad batch or something else like that, it's going to only complicate everything moving on down the line because sometimes Correct. when information gets pushed into these systems mm -hmm. and it's incorrect to start, to reverse that back out is very, very difficult in some instances. I know with Salesforce and yeah. a lot of different CRMs, it's an easy push, but it, to export that information <laughs> out of there can be very, very difficult. And in today's world, you know, if there's one thing that I know is that change is inevitable right every time Correct. i call on somebody 
every time I reach out to somebody, I get a bounced email coming back. If I email five people who used to work at a company just saying hello or anything else, at least one of those people are gone or they're not, or they're, or they're not responsible in that role. So digital transformation for me starts with the data ingestion, starts with the scrubbing of the information, starts with the cleaning, the deduping and everything else. So I know it's coming from a different, from an actual different viewpoint. But I think it's very important for people to take a step back and really look at the core basics of what's going to drive that digital transformation. And it's data. It's your information. Correct. Yeah. And like you said, so many people, you don't really know if you have the bad data until you've taken four to five steps with it and then your numbers don't work. And then you got to go back. So like you said, you know, we believe in the same thing. And what we always say on our projects is everything's momentum right? The sooner you can get started, solve one small problem as a group, get your communication and find the real problems that you're trying to solve, then you'll be able to compound, you know, the value you've created so far and go to the next step. So to help those out that are, you know, trying to understand exactly what the formal definition is, uh, this is how they go about it in the IT world. uh, And I believe this might even be from the Salesforce CEO himself. Um, So digital transformation generally is the process of using digital technologies, to create new or modify existing business processes, culture, and customer experiences to meet the changing and market needs. So much of like we just spoke about, you know, everything is trying to adapt your business. Do you need to reinvent? Do you need to optimize or modify? Or do you need to create, you know, something new? If it's something that you haven't been in, much like John's company continues to find new industries to leverage the same manufacturing or raw material, right? And I think where we were kind of all leading is what it really all comes down to is alignment, right, Brandon? And what you said is data, right? Data is the pillar behind these three things because they're driving the people's decisions. The data is coming out of the process itself. And of course, it's either coming out of their existing technology or going into the new ones, right? So what we like to say is, you know, really for any digital strategy, let alone a transformation, right? Like you said, Brandon, they got to start with one strategy and then eventually they'll have so many successful strategies that that they would have officially transformed, right? But in order to focus on that first core project, in order to identify what should you focus on and where is the value for you to spend money in your business where you'll get it back, (laughs) most importantly, right? It all comes down to aligning the people, the process and the technology. And, you know, obviously from the technology side, it's a little bit different how we go about that. But what we like to say typically, just like you mentioned, Brandon, is, you know, first you have your business goals and then you have those business needs until everybody in your organization or that's going to be a part of that initiative agrees to what the goal should be and what the actual business needs are. Technology is completely irrelevant, right? Because we're going to suggest you a solution that covers needs that aren't fully existing or we're going to miss the ones that are a priority. Um, so the majority of our focus is always focusing on that business strategy. Why are we doing this project? What are the current problems or the opportunity for the, the solution? Are we looking to automate you know, certain aspects of the warehouse and get better data into the people's hands? Or like John said, are we looking to go identify how we can secure new customers in a customer experience? And is it an e-commerce site or is it marketing on these different channels, right? Um, so first, John, we'll go to you and then we'll go to Brandon as well. Um, as you have obviously been a part of different initiatives in your company, whether digital or not, right? Mm-hmm. How do you usually go about starting a new initiative and trying to align these different aspects of each project? I, I really try to, to involve as many people as possible 
which sounds counter, you know, uh, opportunity here, but I, I do want to get my IT team in, my sales team, my marketing, and my R&D, and I would like to get as many opinions on what the project is going to try to solve, right? Um, and by buying this new technology or bringing it into our technology, will it communicate with other pieces that we have? Will Salesforce communicate with this new R&D uh, program that with the you know, science staff wants? Um, because we don't want pieces that don't communicate with one another because then we've got right. paper gaps in between. Um, <laughs> and that's big, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge because not everything does communicate with, with everything else and you still move forward. So for us, it's about that alignment, but by getting as many people involved, you have less pushback when you go to launch. So yep. I've done a few Salesforce uh, CRM projects and again, I've done them on with myself in the room and one other person and then rolled them out and, you know, wham, you get a lot of pushback, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but the more people you involve and you make, you know, in, aware of the process, because it takes months, right? So people think that yes. these things were decided today and launched tomorrow. And in reality, Correct. they were budgeted, decided, you know, tweaked. Changed. Yeah. Changed. And, you know, it took seven months before it was actually introduced in a, in a test market. Um, so the more people involved, then when you do roll it out, they're like, oh, yeah, I knew all about this. I was part of the process. I'm, a, I'm an owner in this process. Much better, much better to uh, your success rate. Definitely. And I think that's a really good point, right? Because obviously one of the largest barriers to transforming or even implementing any new technology, right? It's just organizational resistance, right? Um, and a lot of times we say, they often say it's like system fatigue. Right. Like you said, two, three people went in a room, came up with the three new solutions and they went through that cycle four or five times over the last three to five years. And now every time the ops guy gets a new tech, he doesn't feel a part of the process and gets all the headaches. Right. Um, so I think that is a really good point. You know, we always look to lead with empathy. We look to talk to all those business users just like you do, because everyone has a whole different perspective, even if they're both saying, I wish I could see the data of the other guy. Right. Absolutely. But what data? why, how, and most likely the sales team is going to want to see their data completely different than the research or the manufacturing company, even if it's all the same, right? Exactly. Uh, so I think that's a really important point that you made. Within Salesforce alone, you know, we have all of the groups involved, but you can see by where they spend their time and what they look at, you know, the sales guys want their dashboards and they want to see certain things. And then the dashboards of my R&D team are completely different. They want to see the projects. <laughs> they want to not really caring about the daily sales figures. And it, it is, it's, it's more meaningful to five different people in five different ways than you would have ever thought launching it. Definitely. And like you said, once you get that synergy around that alignment with everybody, then the project also gets fun because everybody feels like they have a part, you know, in the process and a level to be accountable to as well. Yes. Um, so I think that's a great point. Uh, Brandon, from your end, as you've worked with, I know a lot of companies transforming marketing services, CRMs, websites, and all the backend processes to support those, right? Um, which one out of these three do you feel that people have the hardest time with aligning? John, John hit a home run there. He, he kind of <laughs> nailed all of them. I'll tell you a funny story about John, though. When I went to go meet him at their annual event, um, he actually had the Salesforce rep at the event john he was there correct was that yep. he, he actually had the salesforce rep their salesforce sales rep at the at their annual event so that shows how how invested 
that John is with them to make sure this thing goes. And I'm a big fan of that for any type of company. I'll start with this. So the pushback is going to be strong. The pushback from internal is go in most organizations is so strong because we have a kind of gap right now. We have people that are into technology and people that want to write down everything on a piece of paper and carry around the briefcase with them everywhere they go. And you, you know, there's no business continuity there. So similar to what John said, you need to know the why, right? Figure out the why. Why is this important? And you need to have those basically, I want to, I, I don't want to say bullets, but I, I don't know any other word at, at, the, at this moment in time. So you want to have those things that will say, listen, we need to do this because we are not in compliance. And compliance is a huge thing, whether it's Sarbanes and Oxley, it, it can be HIPAA, it can be anything. Yep. Organizations must be in compliance. If two people in an organization don't want to use Salesforce it's, and, and, and it's a compliance issue, then you need to have a serious conversation with them about their longevity at the company moving forward. Because one data breach, one, one type of any type of information leak in terms of anything that can cause massive, massive impact on bottom line in terms of budget or, or uh, response time or anything else like that due to non-compliance is a, is a huge issue. Um, I believe okay. in having information uh, at anybody within an organization's fingertips 24-7, seven days a week. If Frank goes out on a call and does a diligent job and does a great job on the appointment and writes down all of his stuff in, in, in hand and leaves it in his car and doesn't <laughs> report back at the end of the Friday or the week, and I'm sitting there wondering, what did Frank do? You know, what information was there? Because the fact is, like, I, like when we started out, Frank may not be here. It may not be because we don't want him here. It may be because he has another family issue that came up that he had to take care of. So digital transformation is a business continuity case. It's a compliance case that must be done. It's no longer okay to say, we're going to do it next month. It's no longer okay to say, we're going to do it six months from now. These things need to be looked at right now. There is, you know, the best companies out there are taking care of their information, right? I go back to data. They're yeah. taking care of their information. They're personalizing, they're personalizing those customer experiences. And those companies that utilize the information that they have and create compelling stories, including information that's relevant to them, even better if it's their own company's information that they've gathered from them through uh, any, any type of reporting, you're going to nail that business. That's what we need to do moving forward. And that's what we need to use that's what we need to use digital transformation for and all the tools and utilities and everything else. The last thing I'll say is digital transformation is expensive, right? It can be expensive. There are costs. It's all SaaS models. You know, it's, it, can get, it, can, it can be costly, but the cost of you not doing a digital transformation project or not at least investigating or dipping your toe in right now, you may not be in business five years from now, 10 years from now, if you're not investing the time and money, right? So it's going to cost you yeah. money to actually stay in business. So I'll be quiet after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it was a great point, you know, from the, from the different types of employees. I don't think a lot of people consider that. Um, I think we're, you know, 
from our generations on the call alone, we're kind of in each gap of technology and technically mine's the last one that knows the world before a cell phone was born in your hand. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think like you're saying, you know, we're going to keep seeing that transition where you have people that have been in maybe the business for 25 plus years, right? The business has been successful. They're the top sales guy and he's got a Rolodex on his decks that he can flip through and make a sale any day. But at the same time, you have to communicate to those people where the future of the company is going and why it's important, where I think a lot of times, you know, people kind of force change without a reason for it. And now it seems like they're just doing what they do well in the system. So I think that was a really good point, Brandon. The data will definitely be going deeper on across all this series. Um, so where we'll head into next is kind of helping people understand you know, we've talked about this broad thing, digital transformation. We've talked about being able to manage data, to personalizing experiences, to automating a warehouse, right? Um, but how do you go about that? What are the steps that somebody can take? And most importantly, how can they actually start small, right? And not try to transform their whole business overnight? Because as we know, like you said, it's expensive. And if you get it wrong, it's, it's a long cycle to go back outside of the money. You know, the time is very intensive. And as John mentioned, it also usually takes up the time of multiple business users or teammates, not just one person leading the charge. So you really want to know that you got your ducks in a row. So that will lead us straight into what we call the three key phases to transform your business or the three key phases of digital transformation. At, <clears throat> excuse me, I just... Super macro level, the first one is digitization. The second one is digitalization. And once you've compounded the effects of those two, then you can actually begin to transform your business, use your data and those systems to identify new opportunities to change the direction you're going. So we'll start with going deeper into digitization. Digitization is a very, very simple concept. Uh, it sounds weird. It's hard to say because there's no element like digitalization, but it just comes down to converting analog to digital, aka paper documents, spreadsheets, anything that's on your local computer or the pad next to your desk should be in the system and being shared across the organization. It seems like it was a long time ago for those that have been using technology, but it really wasn't, you know, more than a decade ago when all the first Microsoft products came out, right? And all those first operating systems and they let his people start storing data. Um, but unfortunately they followed a lot of, you know, the traditional ways to manage data, right? Independent folders and you still got to dig for 10 clients. So this process is more of finding the best ways to bring those digital assets into your infrastructure and do it in such a way that you can quickly leverage them by centralizing all those data and making it a lot easier to find, share, and use information. Uh, so I think one of the most simple examples that we're all very familiar with and I've seen them you know, take the market by storm was Netflix, right? Everybody forgets that they started just like Blockbuster almost at the same time uh, when it came to the digital rentals at home and being able to send them there. And they quickly learned how to digitize those DVDs and now they obviously operate one of the largest, you know, consumable streaming media services that exist. But all of that came from them not saying, let's build the next streaming service or let's build the next, you know, customer experience. And with all these different analytics, it just came from saying, how can we turn a DVD into a digital asset? So I'm really curious, John, as you mentioned, right through the different stages, I'm sure the process has changed from that first alternative vertical to the seventh one. So what were some of the, the most challenging things in the early days and what are some of the first processes that you guys chose to get off paper or spreadsheets and digitize? 
you know, the, the, the worst thing was, is, you know, we used to do everything via Excel um, and yes. share that back and forth. And uh, unfortunately, we've, we've made some huge mistakes uh, internally with presentations that we were doing just based on, you know, I had version five of the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I should have been on version seven and I was making changes to the wrong sheet. And it, it obviously is, is just a, a game that you're going to fail at. So yeah. going to digital and going to live was, was key for us. So I've been on uh, three or four CRM launches now. And just to see the change with uh, communicating in different time zones and waking up to live information that happened in, you know, Asia overnight or has happened in, you know, Europe before I woke up is key to, to making it a success. I mean, you need to have the latest things at your fingertips and, yeah. and paper isn't going to work and emails aren't going to work. That That's that's a system for failure because you're going to make a mistake on, on looking at the, the latest version sooner or later. Um, yeah. If it's not live, it's not relevant, really. Correct. And I think it's such a great point because I think what a lot of people miss is, you know, digital obviously makes everything easier. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it also reduces a significant amount of risk, right? Uh, as you were mentioning, when it comes to these digital processes or, or the undigitalized, right, our own brains have to go through a folder to see which Excel sheet. Is this the latest one? Then you're going to go message somebody. So all of that's inefficient let alone if you accidentally put the wrong zero or round it to the wrong percentage and you mess up everything and now it's gonna take you two hours to figure it out. So I think a lot of people, although they know that their Excel sheets work great, you know, a lot of businesses come to us and we, the first thing we do is we translate all their business processes that are in Excel sheets. They're good business flows. They're just not fixed and they're not live data and there's so much opportunity for a manual human error. Right. Um, so a lot of people that have great SOPs on paper, even or Excel sheets, you are at like the best starting point you can be at because you can hand those over to any technology company. And we're all going to be able to say, you know, this is in the CRMs. So, like this is how you track deals. You like to filter them this way. Look, all the filters are there. And it's very easy to reconcile and show you without a lot of risk that what you're doing here can easily be translated over here and remove all of that in between communication. Right. Uh, so I think that was just a, a really good point. I think a lot of people focus on, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, but they don't understand how much money or margin they may be putting out the door or they're not letting them prepare for scale. Um, so that's just a thing that we constantly see coming up. So it's nice to see you touch on that. Brandon, from, from your end, where do you see uh, in the marketing world or anywhere else, what are the assets that are not digitized, especially when it comes to running the sales strategies and driving those out. Even people that have CRMs, we've constantly seen the invoicing or the quoting process still on paper. So I'm curious, where do you see the holes around those that have chosen some systems? What are some processes that still get left behind? Oh my goodness, man. It's, it's a work in action, man. I, I just, I just suggest for anybody um, that's going to work on a project to don't be, you know, you, you have to use it to break it, break it as fast. That's what I tell people here. And, and I know John uses uh, run, running with scissors all the time, right? You, you have to, you, you, you know, as a leader in an organization, like you have to get your team in there and be like, listen, we're going to do this because here's the why here, here are the reasons why we need to do it, you know? Um, but you know, to get these people on board, it's, is so 
important because, you know, like, like John was mentioned with the Excel sheet, I've done that with an Excel sheet. I put a filter on an Excel sheet with a complete, a complete database. I put a filter on there that only showed 12 columns and sent that email out and it had 10,000 columns of data. Now the customer most likely never knew it, nothing ever came, but there were so many, there were so many reasons and, and, and so many areas for mistake in, in all aspects. The one thing that I always recommend, I'll, I'll say two things is, is the first thing, and, and I'll say one thing and then I'll answer your question, Brian. So, um, but the, the, the one thing I always like to do is that the people that are your worst enemies within the company, I don't mean enemies in a bad way. I mean, your, your worst yeah. advocates in terms of digital transformation, get them around the coffee thing or, or a jug or water, whatever it is, whatever you have that's there, put your arm around them and say, listen, I'm thinking about doing this project. I want you to be on the team here to test it out with me. Get them engaged, get your work, keep your, keep your worst advocate as close to you as possible and make them yep. the, the lead, not, not the lead, but make them feel like, Hey, everything that we're doing is based around you because once they get the buy-in, sometimes you hate the things you hate most about somebody is the things you love that, that the things you love about them, you know, like you, you, mm -hmm. you love their passion, but, but you hate it because they're always yelling and screaming, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like get those people around you. But in terms of the, of, of the digitization, you know, it's just, I'm a big fan of like taking away pencils, not in reality, but taking away <laughs> pencils, pens, paper from the offices, stop providing that stuff, you know, just, just, hey, you have a computer. What do you need? A Mac? What, 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 what computer do you want that, that you're actually going to use? Done. Use it here, you know, start putting that information. So remove the ease, because if you're putting notepads around pens, papers, everything else, people are going to use them. If yep. they're not there, they're more apt to use their computer or phone. And I see this with my daughter. I'll share this one story and then I'll be quiet. But, um, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I had my daughter's friend was over and I said, hey, um, what, can you write down this number for me? The first thing, and this was an epiphany, this was my Oprah aha moment, right? As my <laughs> wife always says, she never looked to go get a pen. She got her phone and started typing it right in there. And I said, oh my goodness. I'm old as ever, man. I need to get on board, man. Because these kids, you know, she, she, at that age, she was probably like 14 or 15. But that's the way it is now. Everything, your yep. first instinct needs to be, enter that information into a system. And in, in, in real time. And John said it before. Everything needs to be in real time, right? It's, Correct. it's great. Not even later in the day. As soon as you're done or out on an appointment, I don't like to type in front of people because sometimes it gets confusing. But... If, if I'm going to, I'll say, hey, I'm going to take some notes here or something else like that. I'm not playing Star Wars on the, on the computer here, you know, um, but just, just always do that. And if you need to take some notes, take, take some notes and then, but immediately type them in because you will forget. Yep. No, I think it's a really good point. There's a lot of people, it's all about like that behavioral change. Right? And I think that kind of relates right back to, like you said, there's going to be different tiers of people in your organization, just like any new technology, right? You're going to have your early adopters or, you know, you're the real innovators, then your early adopters, and then the late stage, but you need to find a way to cater to both. And most importantly, you need all those opinions up front, you're going to have a third of the organization bought in and the other 70%, you know, pushing back on what's been done. So I think that's a great segue, you know, once obviously, we've had these digital assets, right now, like you said, 
pen and paper is off the desks. All the data are in one of your business systems. So from that point on, now you really can start to see where is the data going and what needs to be improved, right? So that's going to naturally lead us straight into what digitalization is. Digitalization is essentially the process of taking this data that we have now digitized, right? There's no more papers. We're not scanning in our invoices once a week to get it in the cloud. They're physically being done through an accounting system. We can see when they're paid. As John said, we have the live statuses, what's pending, right? And all that data is updating in real time. Um, so now what you're looking to do is you're looking to take that information to make the established ways that you're doing things simpler and more efficient. So just a key note there, you know, it's not about changing how you're doing business completely. It's just about improving the way that you are currently doing business. So you're not looking to transform. You're just looking to optimize or improve, right? And a great example of this, one that we can all relate to as much as we might not like them either way, is the customer service industry. Right, whether it's from the telemarketing side or whether it's from in-store retail or you know Amazon, right? At any of these levels, customer service has reached such a new demand from customers because of what digitalization has done to the back end of that process. And what I mean by that is the process of customer service again has not changed at all. The customer has a complaint, they get a rep, the rep finds their information, they try to find a solution. They hope they make the customer happy and they close that complaint. But nowadays, as soon as you call, you know, that rep knows who you are, right? What was the last time you called? What was the complaint? Did you have an installation for your cable today? And the guy's late. He knows the driver's late, right? So it's more around taking these digital assets that we've created and how can we move them into each experience that we need to improve the way that we're currently doing things without reinventing our business model or business processes. And I think, John, as you can probably attest to, you know, at different levels and, and different levels in manufacturing as well, right, the processes can change. But once you've done it those two, three times, then you can start to see, you know, what's that area of overlap, right? I'm sure maybe there's some level of overlap between hop, traditional, I'll call it traditional alcohol uh, production and the alternative hot manufacturing process. Sure. Is there any overlap when it comes to those things? And how have you guys kind of used the same tools in both those organizations? Sure, so for us, it's all about uh, the quality, the QA department. So whether yeah. we're shipping hops for a brewery or we're shipping hops to a flavor company, the list of, of information that the, the order needs to go out with are very similar um, and, and you know are very, uh, comprehensive. So to have the QA department on our digital platform to get that information out to customers, you know, with fingertips, uh, instead of, you know, faxes or scans or, you know, paper documents with the order that obviously are going to get lost uh, before they get to the right person is key for us. So I would say for our QA department, uh, <clears throat> this process is key for sure. That's awesome. And for the QA side, is that the same department that's also helping bring new uh, products to market when it comes to that research side of things as well? No, or is that so separate? That, that, that's a separate team. So yep. you're, you're going down that right path. So my research team has to come up with new products and then they have to have the documentation to sell those new products that they have to communicate and talk to the QA department with again. So you have to get all those product data sheets, you have to get the kosher statements, you need to get the halal statements. All of those products yeah. come from a whole different department. 
So the communication Correct. between the two, and of course, this is all leading up to the sales guys saying, when do I get a new product to sell? All of exactly. this needs to time perfectly in the middle. Otherwise you can't sell the product because you wouldn't have the proper documents to give a customer. Yeah. And that's really, you know, what shows the whole process, right? Of course the QA team is separate, but when a new product comes in, there's still somewhere in that cycle. Absolutely. So although we know no business anymore is really fully linear, you know, on any process, right? Because as you say, for each pro uh, project product that you have, there might just be, you know, a different cleaning that has to happen on the manufacturing line because of the raw materials that you're using, right? A different way that you're reporting it into the warehouse. There might be five to 20% variations, but there's still that general framework of your flow, right? And the more that you can follow those and see where are their similarities and where are their differences, now you can start to standardize, you know, those processes in your business, where of course, if everything's on paper, that R&D team probably doesn't even feel like they're going through the same QA process because there's no way to track it. Sure, sure. So I think that's a, a really good point. Um, from, from your side, Brandon, what are you thinking on the digitalization side? What's the, the number one thing that businesses need to focus on or that you've helped businesses with on your end where they just had a process that they thought was going well, but they didn't understand you know, how much easier they could have made it? I'm going to summarize it in two words and I'll explain each word after because they're at the top of my head and I don't want to forget them. So repeatable and predictive. You must, you must, and I hate to say like you must, I'm not, I'm not saying you, anybody on this call, but I'm just saying, do yourself a favor, man. What the best, most successful companies out there have created rinse and repeat behaviors and just put it into overdrive. They put their left foot on top of their right and hit the gas pedal and just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Those are the types of behaviors and, and standard operating procedures that a digital transformation will allow you to put into place, right? So everything Correct. starts with a scope of work. You have to just get, get in, in fact, you know, I was saying take away paper, but I'm also a big fan <laughs> of paper from, from, from another aspect. So in sales, we do a napkin close. Everyone knows the napkin close, right? So you get a napkin out. You're out to eat with your wife, partner, husband, whatever, you know, aunt, uncle, dog, whatever. Get a pen. I always carry something with me to write on because I'm always writing notes like on three by five cards and stuff like that. Um, just, just inside ideas. Just map it out. An arrow, you know, to here, to there, the process. Then digest it. Go over it with an IT advocate that you have. An IT person say, hey, listen, I just came across this thought. Can you just think about it? Let me know. How can we automate this process, right? So yeah. that's, a rinse and re that's a rinse and repeat behavior that you can automate in a digital transformation. The second piece is we are at a point of predictive customer behavior. We as yeah. companies have so much information on our customers. I can say for, for us here, we maybe use 10% of it, 20. It is a major shortfall. We go out, we do studies, we collect all this information and then we just sit on it. You know, we just yep. sit on it because we don't have the resources. We don't know how to use that information. But now is the time to use that information to create predictable sales for yourself. When in fact, yep. through a digital transformation, you can be reaching out to a client and saying, hey, we see based upon your orders over the past three years that you're probably in need of an order in the next 30 days. 
Let's get that right. started. You know, and that's all automated process that, that doesn't take a sales rep, you know, calling a warehouse to find out. These are all things that are just automated and run. It knows it's querying information from the past three years. And based upon that information, it's going to present you with the predictive sale. It's the same way to start. Yeah. You know, if you're in the stocks and stuff like that, you see they have all these predictive tools, right? Not one of them work, really. I mean, every stock that <laughs> I see like that is, is goes backwards, you know? And I, I, what, 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 if, I'm not even going to get into that. But it's, 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 repeatable, it's, it's repeatable behaviors and predictive uh, sales. So those were my yeah, two words. Completely agree with that. And I think, you know, data sharing is the one where everybody goes because it's always the biggest problem. People are always calling each other for information. But another big part of the digitalization, it gets that human error out of those Excel sheets, right? And those other experience where you're essentially looking at, let's just take a CRM for an example, right? There's most CRMs when we work with clients, we define certain things that you can see per deal stage. So as an example, you can't, you know, suggest a product or create a quote for somebody unless they're in that last deal stage and somebody else has approved them to get there. So it's not so much holding the accountability of those deal stages, right? But it's the same thing you're saying, Brandon, from the predictability and the focus side, it's that predetermined workflow. And now through technology, even if you knew you had these five deal stages, I can make sure that nothing else is showing to you that's irrelevant in any of those other stages, on top of having triggers saying, you know, he just clicked on that personalized email, they just went and downloaded that demo and having those trigger events, you're able to fully empower your employees to what we, we say, you know, let them do the real responsibilities that you hired them for and not the soft responsibilities. You, know, you don't hire a great sales guy to not be on the phone out at networking events and selling people for you. You don't want him losing 70% of his time trying to run automated emails, keep up with hundred emails a day or update the CRM for four hours a week, right? So how can you define those processes where you can hold him accountable, but at the same time, you can make it super easy for him to do those things on a daily basis and get the majority of his time spent, you know, on the key revenue producing activities. Mm -hmm. So now that we've got our digital assets, we're starting to figure out how to work with them, how to share them across the organization and really start to optimize the way that we do things. Of course, the next step is how can we start to leverage all that predictive data? How can we see what products are working and where can we move next, right? So of course, that is where digital transformation comes in. And again, I think Brandon, you just made such a good point in the beginning and hopefully people seeing how in-depth just those first two steps can be that they understand that this transformation is not, you know, a one bullet in the chamber kill. You're not going to do a two-year project and then sit back, right? Every week there's new solutions coming out, things that can make you competitive and you have to constantly be, you know, investigating those things to capitalize on those opportunities, so when it comes to the digital transformation side, of course, there's always two aspects to the transformation. It can be customer centric or business centric, meaning revenue or operations. Um, but at the end of the day, even the operational sides usually drive a customer centric approach, right? If your lead times of deliveries are now one hour deliveries rather than 24, yes, you optimized internally, but the biggest impact you're gonna see is you know, customer success and more orders. Right. So when it comes down to digital transformation itself, this is when we are trying to change the way that business gets done. Right. Maybe right now you have QuickBooks, a WMS system, a CRM, 
and they're all three separate. They're hard to make them talk to each other or it's just really expensive because they're larger products, right? Maybe it's time to truly investigate an open source ERP or a potential other product or even developing it custom, right? Because you don't always have to purchase a product or a platform. There is that option. And a lot of our customers do it depending on the industries that they're in, right? So it's really understanding that you have to ask yourself the hard questions. You can't just say, how can we marginally make this better? Better, Even if your business has grown 100x over the last five years and you still see it's on that route, you still have to question yourself, is there anything that we can change in these processes to predict things better and improve our decision-making to really have some game-changing efficiencies, right, John? As you can imagine, a, a manual QA process considered to sure. a technology one, there's really no even apples to oranges on that one. Um, and then from there, once you've asked yourself those questions, you really got to bring in those new younger people, the older people, even look at competitors and see where they're moving because you have to be able to flip your whole perspective and try to forget everything you've known. Right. And the most important thing, like you both have started to say, right, a lot of companies are kind of in that digitization phase or maybe progressing nicely through the digitalization, but very few are deep in actual transformation right, outside of the large Fortune 100s. Uh, a lot of them are starting to scrape it, but it's not like they've changed their whole industry yet, right? So there's still plenty of opportunities for other businesses to come in. There's still plenty of opportunities for small guys like Zillow, right, to disrupt the entire real estate industry and all the state systems. So we're going to keep seeing that. And I think people just really have to recognize that we just saw the first wave of them when it comes to Uber, DoorDash, uh, Netflix, right? You saw people go after really archaic industries and things that they knew they had to really, you know, dig out and replace, not just slowly change, right? But now we're going to start to see more niche solutions, things that are focused just on potentially hops, right? Or agricultural R&D or Q&A rather than more generic Q&A solutions that pharma, textile, and all these guys are using, right? So businesses have to understand you don't have to be the next Uber but you may be able to find that one thing in your business that just like you guys did, right, John, with the original hops, you're asking yourself, what else can we do with this? Yeah. What else can we do with our customer data? What else can we do with our partners? What else can we do with our product? If you're a wholesale company, you only go B2B. What's it going to take to invest X amount to go B2C and try to create a private brand, right? These are all the ways in which businesses need to start thinking um, because we're going to keep seeing larger shifts and they're going to start happening faster. So you've really got to be on your toes. And if you have the right timing, you don't have to be the next Uber. But even if we found a way to automate the QA process just in your industry specifically, right, that would be a, a big impact to the whole industry itself. Um, so people are going to be coming in and finding those off solutions. It's going to be interesting to see where we go. So with that, John, I know we've talked about leading into your digitalization, but where do you see, you know, the direction of your company or, or even like the direction of your career and the products that you like to work on, right, going in the next three to five years? And maybe you can kind of touch on how it's changed a lot already. Sure. So, I mean, for us, it, it's all been about utilizing that hop cone that's behind me here. Um, and now I tell the team, why look at just that cone? What about the leaf? What about the stems? What about, you know, all the parts of that product? And, and what can we utilize out of that other than, you know, uh, at the farm using it as mulch? So 
really we've expanded. Once you get your footings in the right place and you have a base, you can then start to look at the, the craziness of what else, what if, what, if, what could we do with a little bit of time, a little bit of resources, a little bit of money, what could we do? But know your limitations. I, you know, for, for me, I always say we have to run to innovate. So our window of innovation is between two and four years, which is big, I think. But yeah. other companies or in a university, I always say we're not a university, you know, they can spend 10 years on a project uh, before it becomes something. So you have to know where that boundary line is for you, because again, you have to have the, the payback on these crazy ideas or new innovations. So for me, it's knowing about those boundaries and, and really having some self-help there. Um, and again, having the processes in place to do all that, but things are changing and you have to really decide what your focus is. And for my team, we're hop people. We know about hops, we're hops experts, but to know your limitations about, you know, for instance, CRM, we knew that we wanted that, but we knew we couldn't do it all internally. You know, we couldn't spend all our time off the road from making sales calls. We couldn't do all of that. So we had to hire consultants. We had to hire other experts in that industry to bring them in and work with us on these. So you have to be willing to, to know your limitations. Uh, and a good leader does that, right? But yes. to know your limitations. We're, we're hop experts, not CRM experts, but we want a CRM you know, system that sings and dances. Well, then you need, to, you need to look outside your bubble and spend a little money, yes, uh, as part of the budget and get those experts brought in. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And I think it's such a good point. I mean, of course, on the technology side and really anywhere else, right, you're always looking to put the right person in the right seat, no matter what it is. Um, but I think a really good point that you touched on, John, is, you know, the biggest thing, especially with transformation, now more than ever, there's more opportunities to go in a thousand directions, right? And there's, there used to be a million ways to make money. Now there's a trillion, right? So a lot of companies, they get excited with digital transformation and they just, you know, the train is off the track and they're on a whole different ride. Sure. So I think a really good point that you made is, you know, if you are looking to transform and you're looking to continue to innovate, you want to make sure you go deep and narrow, right? Not wide and horizontal because now you're moving into aspects and you're moving mm -hmm. where you don't have as much overlap, right? Like you said, you had the first alternatives, now I'm sure new technology can maybe come out, help you analyze the different elements of the product better. But at the end of the day, there's still a very similar extraction process or at least the properties of the plant itself. You're not looking to say, wow, we're killing it in hops. Let's move to cannabis because exactly. they're similar. Yeah, I mean, they're sister plants with some properties obviously similar and some that are not. Uh, the hallucinogenic yeah. part for sure. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we did look at cannabis early on and said, you know, is there some kind of a synergy for us? And we're still evaluating it. Um, but lo, lo and behold, due to our due diligence, we haven't found anything to really launch. So um, beta tech is still in the, you know, look and see kind of stage. Um, yep. But it does on paper, it makes a lot of sense. I always say too to the team, you know, we have to have processes in place and we do to make sure we don't, you know, run with scissors on a passion project, something yes. that, that uh, an R&D person or a salesperson feels passionate about doesn't always translate into something that's a successful market launch um, yeah. and, and looking at those things. And, and I've been guilty of this myself. I, I, I early on here at Beta Tech, I ran with a passion project near and dear to my heart. 
And luckily the process caught me and said, you know, and my team turned and said, you know, this isn't really what we should be doing. It, it doesn't have the payback. It doesn't have the market, you know, and we should shelve it and wait until maybe something comes along. So the process even catches me sometimes. So it's, it's a good, it's a good step, uh, you know, running with scissors is fine with precautions. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a really interesting, you know, topic on, on how you perceive that as well. Cause like you say, you know, people can dive in, you can have a passion, but at the end of the day, everything in life is timing, right? So there might be three opportunities that are all good on yeah. paper, yeah. but which one's going to be here first? Is it the sugar? Is it the B guys? Or is it going to be cannabis? And then which ones have the largest risk for you with regulations and other things aside? Yeah. So I think that's a really good point that, you know, companies don't get the shiny object syndrome, as we like to call it, or trying to solve too many problems at once. Find the one thing that's costing your business the most money or the largest opportunity for you guys to move into leveraging your existing infrastructure, not creating a subsidiary you know, under your business. And now you've got two businesses trying to survive. Sure. Ryan, yeah. can I say one quick thing here real quick? Of course. Um, yeah. I would say just, just be aware of two things. Be aware of the shiny object. Be aware of the shooting star. It will get you and it will disappear. The second thing is, be aware of the jack of all trades, right? You don't want, everything is so specialized today that when you're working on a specific project, yeah, like if, if we have a phone system being set up, I want a phone system person there. I don't want some, someone selling alarm systems, TVs, you know, cars, this, that. Like I need a phone person that can set up this tree like nobody's business that, that can set up for it. Like everything is so specialized today, just like down with the Salesforce, you know, it's, it's like, I want a Salesforce expert in there. And if it's not in-house, go out and find the person based off of a recommendation or somebody that you can find and go and pay the additional extra money so that you save all that money on the back end. Because as we get going, you know, it gets more and more difficult. And I just say this one last thing is that with, you know, we all kind of float the float along here, right? And the wind is blowing us in, in one direction. Then all of a sudden it changes. And John, John, you 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 know this better than anybody. All of a sudden it changes, right? Yeah. You have to be ready as a as a leader in your digital transformation project to say, listen, this is not working. These are the reasons why we need to cut this thing off or we need to continue to adjust how we're doing things and then realign and get get moving in a different direction. You know, a lot of people will see a lot of companies, larger companies with 10, 20, 30 people on their team will start and they'll just all like hide it. It's like the naked emperor in the room, right? Nobody wants to say anything. Like someone walks into the room, I'm like, he's naked. You know, you have <laughs> to be able to do that right away. Be that person that will do that. Don't be a jerk about it or anything else. But um, if you see some flaws in the system, be, a, you know, alert somebody in a non non-formal way that won't well i i say in a non-formal way you you it's probably better to do it formal otherwise you may get fired so don't listen to me on that last part just just follow the directions of your human resources department and then and then make sure that you know that the project's kind of off the rails a little bit like john had mentioned with passion project so yeah yeah no i think it's a great point and you know at the end of the day that all goes back to that people process and technology right there's and every project one of those is going to it's like trying to hold on to three balls rolling down the hill. You can always juggle two, but one will start to get, and you have to go chase it and bring it back. So it's that constant agile term around the technology side, but it's really just adapting 
and direct communication and having empathy for the other ones involved. But at the end of the day, if you can't be brutally honest, you might go the wrong direction for a lot longer than you should. Sure. Yep. So then I'll almost wrap it up for us today. Um, the last one here is just some really you know, key statistics. I think we talked a lot about how people can take action. Uh, John, you've helped a lot with you know, giving the aspects of how your business has progressed through the technology, moved into new industries, but have done it in a, what I would call a marginal or a progressive way, right? It wasn't bite it all off and now we're a whole new business overnight. It was prove the first alternative, great, now try to do it again. Okay, now how can we make it more efficient? Okay, now how can we do two at the same time, right? Um, But it's always incremental scales. And a lot of people, they try to build the process to build those seven before they've successfully validated that they built one, right? Um, So when it comes to these stats, it's really just helping people frame the mind of where the market is right now, right? Um, So One of the biggest things that's coming out is obviously a lot of organizations are all focusing on being digital first. Digital first is just the terminology that means, you know, they're thinking digital first, they're looking to integrate technology into everything that they're doing, but it doesn't mean that they're successfully transforming. One's a mindset and one's an execution. But about two, three years ago, this is only around like 40, 50%. So we are almost up to the point where you know, almost 100% of businesses understand that they need technology in one capacity or another, where it's on the sales and marketing side, operation side, new products, wherever it may be. The awareness is starting to hit a whole new peak where it wasn't there before. So in the next two, three years, we're probably going to start to see a lot of smaller businesses move a lot faster, get a lot more comfortable with the newer cloud technologies. And it should be an exciting time to see how they can start to compete with some of the bigger guys and, and take some market share in their localized areas. Um, the next one is kind of leveraging off the first one where it's just those that are planning first, they are seeing the rewards, right? So any of these companies that are saying we are going to be digitally first, again, most of it's a mindset first and they figure out the real value as they get going and build that momentum, but they're 64% more likely to achieve their business goals, whether it's revenue, optimization, new employees, new clients, whatever it may be. They're 64% more likely than any other other peers that are obviously not digital first. Uh, and then the last two are just more around the executive side of things. Um, so the top executives agree that new business opportunities are emerging and as their organization digitally transforms, right? So I'm sure... John and all of us, right? You kind of start on like one small problem. And then as you solve that, it's, um, they call it a pull the thread, right? And out of nowhere, three, four opportunities come in. It's like building that sales pipeline for the first time. It took six months and then no one closes, but five deals close in one week, right? Um, So it's more of saying, we went to solve this problem. We realized we were solving a symptom. Now we just found the actual problem and it solved 10 other things at once. Right. Um, But a lot of those things can't be planned on paper when you're just looking at your systems and what's wrong. Like you said, it takes the empathy of all those other people. And honestly, most of the biggest insights come out of those business users. Right. And not the executives. They're leading the charge. But a lot of the impact and how it's really going to be implemented successfully to get those business results is all from those internally in the system, speaking their voice, saying what works, what doesn't and treating in a way that will actually let them do their job better. Uh, And at the end of the day, you know, on average, it results in businesses dropping costs, right? Whether they're spending too much on technology, losing money to manual processes, 
they're cutting costs 10 to 20% and growing revenue very similarly. So I think this is hopefully a good picture of, you know, the direction on where companies are going. Those that are going digitally first are experiencing some benefits. And of course, not getting into too much detail on, on your side, John, but would you see that as you guys, would you say that you've seen as you guys have progressed through more technology that you've seen the impact? And do you have any way of, of measuring it specifically? Uh, definitely. And, you know, COVID definitely helped us put it into perspective. I mean, for my ethanol team, uh, you know, it went from 90%, you know, face-to-face -face interactions to grow sales, to keep sales, to, you know, being locked down for 15 months and not seeing customers until just recently again. Um, so, Knowing that our uh, our budget is going to be met, and you know, and and we are a growing company even after, um, is really uh, just all thanks to not only the team obviously, but to the tools that we've been utilizing, and the tools that we had before the you know the pandemic. So, you know, I'm always out looking for an edge, and you know, I, I just found one recently when I was doing an Instagram post, not to plug anybody, but. Um, this is a, a Tappy. It's not really showing up here, but Tappy is a digital business card. And, uh, you know, I, I was old school. I always had the nice high quality paper business cards and a nice holder to keep them all in and, and would hand those out. Well, I, I just got a sales lead on vacation last week. And it was, you know, at the beach where I had a credit card and this tappy in my pocket. And I just, you know, hit his phone with this card and boom, he had all of my information and it was a five second thing and he couldn't lose the details or drop it in the beach water, you know, to get to, to fade away. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's always looking outside of the box. And I never thought I'd be one of those guys that wouldn't have business cards on me. Right. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, paperless on business cards at this point. So you got to constantly go. look for the new thing. The new thing is, you know, always being shown and, uh, and, and knowing where your edge is. So my whole car company is now switched over to these. <laughs> so, you know, we're no longer a paper business card company. That's amazing. And it also just goes to show, you know, not every transformation has to be, you know, pulling teeth or super no. complex, you know, some no. of the largest most successful solutions solve the most simplistic problems. Yeah, there's a $40 solution, right? It's not, and yeah. I need a consultant to get it done, right? So, but yeah, and that, a box of 500 business cards is probably the same. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and this is for, you know, forever. So it's, it's, it's just always looking and being open to what's new. I mean, you can never say I'm done looking at technology or I'm, I'm happy with what I have because chances are you're, you know, in six, eight months, you're going to need to have a tweak or a refresh or a new version or a whole new system. I mean, it, it could be, you know, outdated that quickly. So you always have to be open to the new uh, and exciting opportunities that are out there and stay engaged. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, and, the, and one of the biggest reasons we all, you know, wanted to put the, the web series together is just simple awareness. Um, it's hard to keep up. More things are coming out faster than ever before. A lot of people don't know the difference between, you know, products, platform, custom technology. So there's some things in there that we'll get into later in the weeks. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the more awareness that you can create for yourself and, you know, it should be fun in the process. You'll start to see things that naturally align with your company and maybe some opportunities will come out of it. Yeah. Um, so, of course, before we wrap up, Brandon, 
when it comes to the stats, when it comes to the businesses and them taking these first steps, what's the final word that we want to leave them with? Oh man, I'll be quick because I know we're over time and I need to go potty. So <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, I say for anybody that's thinking about digital transformation is to pick a company, not a specific sales rep at a company, but pick a company. If you look at Beta Tech, their company, they are such a strong, strong company. It's not one person. It's a culmination of how many people you have, 60 people, John, 70 people. I don't know what the overseas crew are. Uh, we're, we're a small company. We're, we're 22 people at this point. All right. So you're 20, you're, you're 22, but every single one of those people is more than capable Absolutely. of handling any task, any customer service. You're picking up the phone, being polite, take, put, you know, that's the number one thing. I know sometimes people get caught up in one sales rep, Joe or Frank or whatever else who I'll give them business the rest of my life. But like we all said during here, man, digital transformation is going to alleviate some of the roles that are at companies and positions are naturally going to change. People come, people go. So pick a company, pick a consultant. I'll, I'll just plug down here real quick before we go and pick a person. Like, uh, pick a leader within a company that can um, like kind of guide you along. Not a sales rep. Listen, I'm in sales. We're, we're all here. We all sell a ton of products and services, right? We all drive nice cars. We all live in nice homes. I get it. We, we, we all keep our lights turned on. But in reality, everyone on this call wants the best for you. Like Brian will talk you through. He will spend time with you. He's not getting paid for that. He's, you know, John's not getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid for this. You know, we're, we're here to share our knowledge. Use us. We're going to share out our information. We're going to share out our emails. You can have our phone number, whatever you need. If you have a question, reach out and just ask, where do I start? I want to do this. I see so many people typing in the wrong keywords. They, they type in what they want, but they're typing in the wrong words. So they never find what they're looking for or what they find is incorrect because whatever you type into Google, you're going to get. Whatever you're fishing for, you're going to get. So talk to somebody like offline, like, like an industry expert or, or industry resource, like the one of the three of us, and just ask us, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Um, can you point me in the right direction? So, But um, I'll, stop I'll stop talking there. Yeah, no, I think that was the, the best way to end it. Uh, I'll leave it here at the closing slide. Thank you so much again, John. We, we really Thank appreciate you. having you on. Um, certainly, like Brandon mentioned, we know you're fully open to anybody reaching out. You know, Absolutely. if they're in the hop space, manufacturing space, looking to get into alternatives, anything, you guys can find John on LinkedIn. Um, we also have this slide at the end of our deck. You can go to the landing page for the web series, which is goincipientcorp.com forward slash how to define your digital journey, where you'll find all the episodes, the upcoming release dates, guides, and more perks if you subscribe. Thank you guys for taking the time to join us today, and we hope we helped you on your digital journey. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. All right, boys. Well done, man. We went way longer. We went way longer than I even <laughs> in the bathroom. So I am out of here, Jack. <laughs> no worries. All right. Here, that was awesome, though. I think that was good. You hit record, right, Brandon? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah we're, good. we're good. Yeah, I'm going to – oh, don't start that again. Hold on. Stop recording. Don't even jinx – dude, don't even jinx me like that. Stop it. Yeah. All right. We got to run it back, John. 